That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Welcome to BX, Beyond Stereotypes, a podcast about lawyers using their authentic voices to change the world. I commit to being authentic and to being truthful in the people with the people who I interact with. I don't believe in sort of being superficial about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I don't think that it's helpful to the people who I work with or who didn't want to engage me um, to not tell them the truth about what I think that they're doing or what they have done. And so one of the things that makes me unique is that I'm going to tell you what I think you need to hear. And that might mean that we don't need to work together. Right. You know, <laughs> um, right, that that authenticity doesn't always bring me um, friends, but it does bring me people who understand that I'm a big believer in accountability um, and, and in impact every single day. I say and my kids will tell you these three words, intent, impact and and accountability every day. Welcome to BS Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host, Merle Vaughn. Here to BS with me today is Paula Edgar, whose story I find fascinating and who will no doubt inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hey, Paula, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing well today. That's my usual answer in the pandemic has been, I'm managing as best I can given the state of the world. But I'm doing okay today, so I appreciate you asking. Thanks. Good. Yeah. I usually, my answer is usually I'm pandemic good. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I like that. I might steal that. <laughs> so let me just tell our audience a little bit about you. There's so much to tell, so I'm not going to go into all of that. We only have so much time. But Paula is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, a trainer and facilitator, professional development and keynote speaker, personal branding strategist, and a civic leader. She is the CEO of PGE Consulting Group, LLC. I happen to know that you reside in, I believe, Brooklyn, New York, correct? Brooklyn. Straight out of Brooklyn. I'm straight out of Compton. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, very pleased to have you here with me today to to BS and to seriously, you know, have some serious conversation and have some fun conversation, but more most importantly, to inspire uh, our our listeners to uh, embrace their authenticity uh, in this uh, ch- in this chosen profession that we've all uh, decided to adopt, which is is uh, the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and and talking about uh, authenticity, one of the things that first attracted me to you, we have a mutual friend. Well, let's go there first. We have a mutual friend, okay. Sonia Sam. I love Sonia. So I think we should give Sonia a shout out. Um, I met Sonia working when she was working at Major Lindsay in Africa. How'd you meet Sonia? So someone else asked me this question recently, and I said, I don't recall a time in my life when there has not been the influence of Sonia Song. And I don't, I really don't remember how we met other than I feel like she has just been 
a presence in my legal sort of in, in the legal career that I have had that has just been ever present and ever wonderful and all all praises due to the fantastic Sonia Som. She is really one of the best people I've ever met. Here, here. So, uh, and and now that we've mentioned her, she'll. She, we know that will uh, uh, this this broadcast will go viral, right? Definitely. Because she is a maven. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's not why I did it at all. <laughs> it worked out. For me. So yeah, right. So. Um, but the the other thing that so so in kind of following you on Instagram and Facebook, uh, one of the things that I I fell in love with, and I think I even sent you like this uh, a dress that I found this this uh, designer dress that was camouflage because I noticed that you love camouflage. Can you talk to me about that? Yes, I absolutely can. So um, for those of you who follow me on social media, and you should, at Paula Edgar on on Twitter, at uh, the Paula Edgar on Instagram, um, and Paula Edgar on LinkedIn, I love, I love, love, love an outfit, period. So my, I, I've always loved sort of having an outfit of the day on social media. So hashtag OOTD. Um, and my chosen brunch wear and, you know, attire when I'm not sort of wearing my uh, lawyerly dress clothes is camo. Um, and I have camo and all the way down from shorts, overalls, <laughs> skirts. Um, I have gowns that are camo and I, I just love it. And I, you know, I think part of it might've started from my husband because he had some former military stuff, but I don't really know where it began, but it's at least been a, about 10 years of me uh, loving camo and wearing camo whenever I have the chance. And if I see it in any place, I want to buy it because it's camo. So yes, that's my love. And I appreciate anybody sending me links <laughs> of new camo outfits for me to buy because everybody knows I need more clothes. <laughs> so, okay. So what I didn't, what I didn't talk about is um, the fact that you uh, are, well, I did kind of allude to the fact that you have been a practicing lawyer. I think you're a, a labor uh, or employment and civil rights lawyer, correct? That is correct. Um, and you decided to give that up. So tell me, you know, why, how that happened and, and sure. why you did that. Sure. So um, I went to law school because I wanted to help people. And I think we'll probably get into the sort of story of my background story of why I went to law school a little bit more when we talk about um, parents. Uh, but I realized pretty quickly my perception of what it was going to be and what it actually was was not aligned, <laughs> and um, right. and that I wasn't using uh, the skill set that I have naturally aligned with the skill set that I learned in law school in a way that was in fact effectful, effective I should say, and impactful. And so I decided I was not going to do it anymore. Um, I still am licensed primarily because my family's West Indian and they're like, just in case anything happens, you need to be a licensed attorney. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's why I pay my dues every year. Um, but I don't, um, I don't practice, but I use my um, legal background every day. Like, you know, knowing how to read a contract, understanding some of the nuances, particularly of equal employment law um, works and dovetails very well in um, what I do when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And in particular, when I do it with attorneys, 
it's helpful for them to feel like I am one of them while I'm doing it. So, um, but it just wasn't my thing. And so I was able to, to say, this is not my thing, but I want to hang out with lawyers. I want to do lawyerly things, just not practice while I'm doing that. I totally get that, Paula. I practice and now I consider myself a recovering lawyer. Um, and I was a salesperson. I sold computers before I went to law school. Um, thought I wasn't, I didn't really think that I was going to help people. I thought I was going to be a business person. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that being a lawyer does not help you become a business person. Um, so I always try to tell people, really understand why you're going to law school and what you want to do before you go. I noticed that you are a career coach. Mm -hmm. So how does that play into your decision not to be a lawyer? Well, I want to, before I even answer that, I want to go back and find, tell you that we have another place of alignment because you said you were a computer salesperson. I was a software salesperson before I went to law school. Um, oh, yes. wow. So I used to work for um, a company in California that sold accounting software. Um, and so I just wanted to call out that other place of alignment that we have. And um, so the coaching piece actually emerged without my consent. I always say, I don't know how I became Coach Paula. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, People started to come to me and ask for my thoughts um, and opinions about their trajectory. And um, it happened kind of, you know, you know, ad hoc every now and again, folks would reach out to me. And then one time someone was like, well, what are your rates? And I was like, what do you, when you say rates, what do you mean? <laughs> and, they were, yeah. and they were like, well, what do you charge? And I was like, so you're meaning that people pay money for what I've been doing for free for all this time? Um, essentially, um, I had been working at a nonprofit that was centered around uh, law students and uh, and lawyers in terms of mentoring. And it was called PALS, Practicing Attorneys for Law Students here in the city after I decided not to practice. Um, and in that capacity, in that nonprofit, I was essentially their acting ED because they didn't have an ED until they decided, why are we looking for an ED when we have an ED and it should be you? And um, so I was interacting with not just students, but also with practicing, practicing attorneys across the board. So judges, you know, corporate lawyers, um, folks who worked in nonprofit, et cetera. So I was getting a lot of insight into some of the pathways. And then people would just tap into me about some of the things that I had learned and then I started, you know, kind of figuring out best practices, et cetera. And so from there, uh, I emerged as Coach Paula, really helping to direct folks uh, in their careers and to help them to, um, you know, to sort of be that. I always call myself the foot in your back. Like, if you know you need to do it, you know what you need to do usually, but you're not doing it. And the coach is helpful to saying, okay, you committed to this. And so now we're going to go ahead and make sure you get it done and being that accountability partner. Um, and so that's what I've done. And I am currently in a place where I have three coaching clients, um, and that's it. And I won't take any more. I'm, I'm no longer, uh, uh, accepting clients only because what I realize is that it is for me when I do it, and I think I do it well, it is really heart work. It's, it's emotional. I'm, I'm hmm. in it and being in it and being so committed to it is draining to me. And so what I realized was that it was probably not the best use of my time and efforts, particularly given the work that I do around diversity and inclusion, that it made sense for me to 
sort of segue into more group coaching or training or, you know, having a larger capacity to impact folks, still being able to connect with them, but not in the sort of same way. Um, and it's, and that's been a, a good decision. The three people who I still have as, um, as clients just won't let me go, literally. They're just like, nope, nope. Good try, though. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and, and I can just see how I can imagine how if if that is as heart, the heart work that you describe, uh, I, I know that diver- personally, that diversity inclusion work is not for the faint of heart. I, it, what I do is not for the faint of heart. And it's not even my, you know, my uh, my day job. Right. It, it's it's my it's my focus, but I'm a recruiter. Um, and so let's talk about this past year. Let's talk about hard work. Let's talk about how difficult what we do has been uh, in both, both professionally, but also personally. Um, and how, how we, how you, cause I know it's been hard for me, but how have you uh, handled it all? I have handled it day by day, minute by minute in the best way I know how, which is um, tapping into the resilience uh, that I think that that I have as a Black woman, Um, tapping into the, what's the word, the power and impact that that I was raised with. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, one of the pre-questions that you sent was what what makes me unique. And I really, really thought a lot about that. And in doing the work that I do, what makes me unique in the work that I do as a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant is that I bring all that I am into the work that I do, everything that I know, all the things that I've experienced and all the things that I want for the world into the work that I do. Um, and so that means that it is never light work. It's never, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of, you know, this is just a presentation. It's always that I'm bringing my full self and that is exhausting. But the the difference in this past year, and, and I'll particularly call out from the, the time of the murder of George Floyd, was the one sort of solitariness, even though I, you know, live in a home with uh, my children and my husband of being in the pandemic and that Mm -hmm. at the intersection of then experiencing this deep trauma globally, essentially, um, of witnessing, you know, the lynching of a a black man um, at the hands of a police officer was so traumatic in such deep ways. And then, you know, I had been in a place thinking like, am I going to have to get a job, you know, as an entrepreneur, because at, because of the pandemic, pretty much everything had stopped. Everyone was like, Oh, no, we don't have any budget. Good, good try though. Thanks Paula. See you when I see you. Um, and so I was like, well, how am I going to you know, manage this and, and be resilient? And then two days, essentially after George Floyd was killed, my phone would not stop ringing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every email I got was, you know, um, since George Floyd was killed or as we reflected on George Floyd's death. And, you know, I always like think about the, the, you know, his legacy as someone who, you know, was murdered, but that his impact um, was so deep, particularly for our legal profession, but obviously f- for the world. Um, 
having that experience and not really having anywhere to go or no, nothing else to do. I, I don't think that we would have had the same um, experience if we weren't in the middle of a, of a pandemic because we had seen, you know, murder, we had seen trauma, we had seen violence before, right. but that at that intersection, you know, the time, place and, and, you know, sort of energy really said, okay, now we have to look at ourselves and, and who we have said we are and who we actually are and what are we going to do about it? Um, and kind of to swing back to the crux of your question is, and how I manage is, um, I have therapy weekly to make sure that I process what I'm processing. <laughs> um, right. I commit to being authentic and to being truthful and the people with the people who I interact with, I don't believe in sort of being superficial about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I don't think that it's helpful to the people who I work with or who didn't want to engage me um, to not tell them the truth about what I think that they're doing or what they have done. And so one of the things that makes me unique is that I'm going to tell you what I think you need to hear. And that might mean that we don't need to work together. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, right, that that authenticity doesn't always bring me um, friends, but it does bring me people who understand that I'm a big believer in accountability um, and and an impact. Every single day, I say my kids will tell you these three words: intent, impact, and and accountability. Every day, because yeah, you know, that's the circle. And what it the other thing that it brings me is an amount of peace. Yeah. Right? It's it, it's like if you are being your authentic self and people come to expect that, whether they appreciate it or not, um, it gives you a sense of peace to know that you're, you know, it, it, you're just being mm-hmm. you and, and that's what you were put here to do. Yes. But that peace and that authenticity is exhausting. And, and I yes. think that at, you know, right before we got onto the, you know, to recording the podcast, I hit send on my newsletter and I send a newsletter out monthly, and this was a June slash summer 2021 mm-hmm. newsletter. Um, and I encourage all of you to go to my website, paulaedgar.com, and sign up for it. Um, <laughs> and, and essentially it was, this is my hiatus. I'm taking off July and August to rest, you know, to just kind of lie down and not do anything but think about whatever I want and watch TV and just kind of hang out because it's been such an intense year and a half that the impact on physically and mentally, I don't even think I kind of feel yet other than I know I have this driving desire to rest and I want to be responsive to do nothing. Yeah, right. right. And, and I want to be responsive to that because I feel like the, you know, that want to do everything and kind of be go, 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 go. It does not really serve us, especially doing this type of work because then you don't get a chance to ever decompress from the trauma that you're always kind of living in. I do a lot of coaching of white male leaders. And I always say to them, like, you know, I say like, this is not going to be an easy experience for either one of us because I have to hear the things that you're navigating and help you navigate it. And you have to see that how helping you navigate it, it can be traumatizing to me, right? So we're right. in a relationship that we know is going to be difficult, um, but we're doing it because we know that we want to get to a place where we're both better. Um, and it's, that's a, it's a lot. It is a lot. lot. Well, and it's a lot, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, post uh, the George Floyd murder, like you, um, 
I got contacted by a lot of people, some of whom, you know, friends, mm -hmm. you know, wanting to know what they could do, what they should do. How do they, uh, how do they educate themselves? What can they read? What can they watch? You know, that was exhausting in and of itself, yeah. but you know, we got, we got through that. Right. So, you know, some of us were just like, check on your black friends. Some of us were like, don't ask me anything else. <laughs> uh, give me a, you know, give me a break, mm -hmm. you know? So the idea that you're having these conversations with people who are not your friends and you're being compensated mm -hmm. to have them, mm -hmm. that's a whole different level. Yeah, it, it is. Um, sometimes I will say, cause you know, I, I take the coaching that I do for white male leaders. I don't think of as my coach and like, I don't think of that as like the coach Paula docket. I just think of it as what I do under my, you know, my DEI sort of hat, which I don't know why I think of it separately, but I shouldn't, but I, but I do. And oftentimes, like, let's say I'm in a room of, you know, of, uh, you know, partners at a law firm and they're primarily white male. And I always think to myself, like, how did I get here? And how come they don't remember that I'm black? <laughs> like, right. Because, and, and again, obviously I'm here, right? Like they can see me, but it, it there are folks who very much trust me enough to say things um, and to be very vulnerable in front of me about things that can be traumatic to me, right? I always, you know, kind of say like, okay, I'm going to let level set. I'm coming in this conversation, understanding that you are at a place where you, you're, you're not quite there in terms of understanding. And you might ask a question, make a comment that can be challenging. And I'm going to tell you if it's challenging and I'm going to tell you why and we're going to talk about those nuances, because that's a part of how we're in relationship right now, which is challenging for both of us, but we're going to get through this. But I'm, I'm often in rooms where people will say things that they would never say anyplace else. And I feel a, a great sense of honor of the trust that happens there. But it also is like, I, you know, come home and have to put my feet in water sometimes to let go of that energy because it's hard, because right. it, it, it is hard. But I do think that um, it is a part of the special intersection of me that you get, that you may not get with other people who might be like, I can't believe you just said that we can't work together or, <laughs> or let me tell you X, or I'm going to point my finger here. I know that there's a sweet spot of, um, education and um, uh, being in relationship and understanding that you call someone out to call someone in, looking at the end result and thinking about where you want to be um, both for this individual, this group, and then this organization. Um, and all of those things at once, then figuring out how to be in conversation. What types of things do I want to say that you need to read or to watch for us to be able to, you know, download and talk about next, the next time in our relationship. And it's just me, it's, you know, really for me in this past year, that's when I look back on it. Like, oh my gosh, I've had such wonderful opportunities to have impact on leaders and individuals and then subsequently in the organizations that they lead. Um, and that has been a powerful, powerful shift that wasn't necessarily there in the same way before. So you mentioned what makes you unique. Mm -hmm. um, what stereotypes do you feel that people make about mm -hmm. you when they meet you? I think and I sometimes get um, is that I'm, I guess, mean, meanly militant. Let's, let's call it that. I am. Well, camouflage. <laughs> come on. I'm dressing the part, right? Um, All right. I am uh, definitely not mean. 
but but I can can have straight talk for straight understanding when people need to be spoken to, um, and mm-hmm. and uh, connect and corrected and connected with, um, but militant no, but I am emphatically emphatically pro black. Um, I have yes. been, you know, my, my parents raised me to be very much like to love all things um, black. I love all things black. And so, so when you see me, I usually have on a, a shirt, like right now I'm wearing a shirt that says I'm the first black woman um, vice president in the United States and black is sort of up and above um, woman. It, it's just a part of, of the who I am. And so I always say like, if, if, if you're challenged in that space, I'm going to help you because I, I, you know, this is kind of where I've been when people are talking about, you know, you know Juneteenth becoming a, a holiday. I was oh, like that. Lord. It wasn't even a part of sort of the holiday matrix, but it was a part of the the nomenclature and the history that I, I learned and knew. And the ironic thing about a lot of the things that I know and love about black history is a lot of it. Um, I learned and was encouraged to do by a white man. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's something that um, is a really special piece of, I think, my my story. Um, I was raised in... Who is this white man? tell you. I, I was raised <laughs> in Brooklyn, New York. I was primarily raised around Black people and Puerto Rican people um, in East New York, Brooklyn. But then I went to boarding school. I went to boarding school in Massachusetts, where I was like one of 20-something um, students of color there. And the, the teacher that I had who taught me history, his name is um, Mr. Fraker. He mm-hmm. was like, you have to learn and embrace black history. Like he was, and I had, you know, it wasn't like I was just new to this, but he was like, no, 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 no. You're going to like, like embrace and know black history. And so he really um, put me on an additional path, like not just the path that I was raised on, but one that where I became a student of black history. And so learning about Tulsa and all those things. I learned about that in high school. He, you know, he really encouraged me to, 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 to Amazing. deeply. And, and I think it's a part of my story that people don't expect, um, but that I really, really love um, because it talks about the fact that we can have these relationships. We just have to get in a place where we can talk and have community and community and communication. Right. Well, speaking of Tulsa, I'm from Tulsa. Right. Uh, and I'm, yeah, and all my, my family on both sides is from Oklahoma. And we were just having this conversation at dinner the other night where my husband was saying he had never heard of, uh, uh, the black wall street or, or the Tulsa bombing until he was in Tulsa for my grandmother's funeral. And, um, and so, you know, this, it's come up a lot recently and at that same, um, uh, uh, get together the other day that was part of the confusion you know the part of the conversation and people had never heard of it and they didn't believe that I had ever heard of it and um yeah it it's it's we all have stories right we all have experiences and I I believe that the only way for us to really uh coexist is for people to be have curiosity and be willing to listen mm-hmm to other people's experiences. Um, the, the other thing that, that, um, I feel a connection with you about is the loss of our moms. Um, my mother who was from Oklahoma, um, black college, um, you know, had to clean houses growing up. I mean, my favorite story about her is she used to, to walk past the ballet studio, 
in Muskogee, Oklahoma and look in the window and could not take ballet because she was black mm. and uh, she was delivering um, the laundry um, to the white clients. And she swore when she grew up, her if she had daughters, they would be ballerinas and she made good on that. Mm. Um, and so you know, it's just, you know, the stories and, and the connection. And she was an educator. Both my parents were educators, mm -hmm. but she passed away um, in 2001 mm -hmm. and uh, broke my heart. I became Buddhist as a result, just searching and searching and searching for a way to deal with my mother's passing. Mm -hmm. I also know that your mother passed in 2001. And I'm wondering, um, it had to, you know, in a very tragic way. And I'm wondering what how you've, how you've, how your resiliency had, you know, how has it, how did it affect you? What it, you know, how do you deal with the annual, um, that annually? Sure. And so I'll give the audience some context. Uh, my mother, Joan Donna Griffith, um, was killed in September 11th. She was in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. Um, and her, her murder, was transformative, I think is probably the best word for it. Um, and mm -hmm. in that it, it totally changed me and changed my trajectory. So um, <clears throat> when my mother was killed, I was living in California with a guy who I didn't love and I didn't really like. Um, oh, wow. and, um, and I was sort of being in a stubborn space because I had made this commitment to move to California and I was like, oh, if I'd like leave, then my ego and people will say, I, you know, I, I made a mistake and I didn't want to do that. Um, so on the morning of September 11th, we had just, we, me, we, me and this guy had just gotten a huge 60 inch television, uh, maybe a week before. Um, it was early in the morning on the West Coast. Um, he mm -hmm. woke me up. Uh, he had been awake for a little bit, a little while. And he said, um, the the World Trade Center just got hit, and I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" Like, you know, I woke up like, "What do you mean?" And then I remember walking out of my bedroom and like looking at the sixty inch TV and seeing the first tower hit, and just being like, "What?" Like, you know, and it, um, because they were not censoring the footage at all. It was literally just what was happening, um, mm -hmm. seeing this plane, and then running to the phone and to call my mother, like, you know, because that's what you do. Right. And, and calling, 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 obviously could not get through to my mother. <laughs> and, and when I think mm. back on it, it was like, what were you doing? Like, what, why did you think that she was just going to be like, hello? Um, so anyway, um, I call my, I ended up getting through to my father who worked in Philadelphia. My parents lived in South, in, in South Jersey and my mother commuted to New York city every day. And my father worked in Philadelphia. So they were, you know, in two different places. Um, and I finally ended up getting through to my father and he was crying when I spoke to him and I was like, you know, like what, what's going on? Have you heard from mommy? And he was like, I, I spoke to your mother. She was crying. She was upset because she saw the tower get hit. So she saw the other tower get hit. And mm. then after that, they, they couldn't get back through to, to each other. Um, and then, you know, from there it was the other tower got hit, the towers fell um, and kind of seeing it and being in this horrified space where mm. you cannot, talk to anybody on the phone, all the, you know, the circuits were down, you know, it was just like unprecedented. Right. Um, and 
that experience of that, I wasn't able to to fly back home for another three weeks because of no fly zones, et cetera. Um, and I wasn't going to take the train, you know, whatever, all of that. And then realizing after, you know, you know my family members drove down from Florida and made you know, signs and everyone just was really hopeful that my mother was just lost someplace and didn't know who, you know, who she was and wanting to search for her. And, and that was a space where, you know, so many people, there were 3000 folks who lost it, who lost their family members were trying to find, you know, the people who they had lost. And then, you know, mm-hmm. we um, came to the realization that we weren't going to get her back. And then I ended up being back on the, on the East coast and, th- you know, the lawyers who, connected with our family, the lawyers who my, my mother had already engaged for her will, um, et cetera, had, they were transformative. They were, they were the folks who were like, okay, um, you know, your father's in a place where he can't do anything. My dad was having panic attacks, you know, all the time. My little sister was 16. Um, my other family members, it just, you know, I'm the go-to person. My mother was the go-to person. She raised me to be the go-to person. And I found two different life insurance policies that no one knew my mother had. Like, I, it was just like in game mode. <laughs> like, I, I got uh-huh. this. What do you mean? Uh-huh. And, the, and the lawyers were like, you should think about law school. <laughs> like, you, you've got this kind of skill set in, in, you know, sort of reading things, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, uh, you know, I never thought about that. Um, and it wasn't something I was focusing on, obviously, in, at that time frame. But that was the catalyst. Like, that, that was the little thing that got in my head, like, oh, okay, maybe I might, you know, do something after this and help people. Um, the, I'll give you two quick stories. My husband okay. and I, um, well, obviously he wasn't my husband then. I, I knew him when I was in high school because his, my best friend was his cousin. Um, I hadn't spoken to either him or my best, you know, that best friend in years. And um, my former best friend, she saw in the news that my mother had been killed. She saw it in the like the newspaper, and she told him, mm-hmm. um, my now husband, that you know this happened. And he said, if you reach out to Paula, let her know that if she wants somebody to talk to, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And literally, the day after she reached out to me and told me that, we've spoken every single day since. And I always say, my mother, my mother wow. gave him back to me, like my mother gave me my husband. Um, so that's one story that that came out of, out of out of that and also the the sort of piece of knowing that I had to make an impact. So I have always mm-hmm. known that I had to be somebody. That's not very Jesse Jackson. I have to be somebody. <laughs> um but but I but I always knew that I was going to be somebody like do and do something and have an impact. But my mother being killed and this and in the way the sort of public way like you're talking about like the annual sort of Every year, literally, it is people reaching out to me being like, I'm thinking about you and your mother. And that's okay. And I, I don't have any issue with that. But it is a public, it's not like when, you know, uh, you, you know, an extra neighbor has somebody pass away. They're not annually, somebody's not ringing on the doorbell and being like, you know, I'm thinking about you on this day. It is literally my trauma and also a global trauma at the same time. Right. And for me, that reminder like this year is the twentieth year, the twenty year um, commemoration of 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 nine eleven, and you know I've had journalists reach out to me, you know all of this, and again I have no problem because I love talking about my mother and and who she was, but I think about like what what is going to be my legacy because my mother didn't have a chance to continue her life. Like I have to do more. I have to make sure that 
the the things that she taught me. And and again, if you know me, you know her. Right. So it's not, you know, I was, you know, it's, it literally is that I, when I do my presentations and I talk to people about branding or even diversity work, I say, my mother used to always say, are you going to be the wind or are you going to be the leaf? Nice. And it, then that literally is, are you going to sit there and wait for something to happen to you? Or are you going to make it happen? And that is, that resonates across the board. And for anybody who's listening to that now, think, what do you, what can you do? to make sure that the impact that you want to have is going to be fit for you individually, for your family, for your, for the world, what are you going to do? And that drives me in such a profound way as a, as a mother, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who wants the world to be better, that drives me. And I feel like my mother is that driving force in it. So that when people reach out to me and they're like, you know, is it okay if we talk to my mother? It, it's always okay. I, I feel like a an honor to be able to share who she was because she's had been such a tremendous impact on me and I want her to continue to impact all of you. I love that. And, and, uh, my mother, my mother died from, of, of cancer. Um, she and my daughter, my daughter was, he was 11 and my mother, um, decided to, to, uh, retire from uh, her job so that she could pick my daughter up from uh, school every day. And so she took her to every lesson, um, uh, helped her with piano, with her homework, you know, everything. And they were, they were best friends. And she died on May 17th, um, Mm -hmm. 2001. And my daughter just had twin boys. I know they're so gorgeous. Thank you. On May 17th. And I was at first afraid to talk to my daughter about that. I was afraid when she went into labor because like, oh my God, I can't handle this. I can't handle my daughter during COVID having kids on the same day that my mother died. Right. And it all worked out, uh, obviously, um, even though there was a little scare and Uh, I eventually talked to my daughter about it, but we just decided that it was the most beautiful thing, right? Because now we can, we can celebrate my mother's life and her great grandkids lives on the same day. It's magical, isn't it? Like it's, it kind of takes, it it makes the, the wind of the day beautiful. Right. It's it's one where you you have to experience joy because you're 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 thinking about all of the lives that are now connected. And I love that. Right. Right. So, girl, I could talk to you forever, but let me see. What else are we supposed to talk about? Uh, (laughs) um, So do you what what words of encouragement? I mean, I think you just gave us some, but what what words of encouragement or advice do you have for others about embracing their authentic self? So definitely remembering the words of my mother and the, the impact behind it, are, you know, are you the wind or are you the leaf um, is an, an important part of that authenticity, but also the, the energy around authenticity. And when I do presentations and particularly around like branding or self-promotion, which you know, for women and, and people of color can be really challenging because we have not had agency to do that. Um, and I take pleasure in spreading the gospel of if you don't talk about yourself, if you don't embrace the magic of who you are and tell people and do it in a way that is 
um, energetic, and that is excited, who's going to do it? No one. <laughs> you, are, you are the person, you are the ordained right. person to talk about you. Um, that is a place of authenticity. But but I don't want folks to think that authenticity means being loud and being gregarious. It's not. It's being you and being unapologetic about it, right? Not starting with, I'm sorry, but, but, but being like, right. I am, and yes, kind of like Venus Williams did the other day. Like, you know what? You're never going to be as good as me. So we're good, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's, yes. kind of, it's kind of like- Yes, kind of like, I just posted that today. <laughs> um, I, that authentic space is be, is the, the place of, I know I have work to do, but I know that I've done a lot of work. And right in the middle of that, I can talk about where I've been and I can talk about where I'm going. It's right there, right in the middle. Um, and not being afraid of it, knowing that you can be better, knowing that you have come from worse. That's where that authentic well, place is. And speaking of Venus's comment, and it was it was about uh, Naomi uh, Osaka's uh, pulling out of the French Open for her mental mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned earlier that you have therapy once a yep. week, you know, maybe give our audience an idea of, you know, how that's okay. Uh, and it's also a good thing. Um, so my therapist saves lives every week. Um, <laughs> she, she, right? she, saved li- she saves lives by helping me to process what has happened, what is going to happen, what I'm feeling, um, and helping me kind of not be out in the world um, without that ability. I think everyone could benefit, can benefit from having someone to talk to and connecting with somebody. So even if you feel like nothing is wrong, it doesn't have to be that something is wrong. It can just be that you want to have someone to help you to process what is happening, period. Um, I, you know, it is the best investment that I make in myself weekly, um, my whole family, all of us, we all um, are very much connected to the, the power of therapy to really be transformative, to help you to navigate the things that have happened to you when you were younger and that continue, and that happened to you now and how they intersect um, and, and that processing piece of it, particularly when you have challenges, uh, is just a really great resource. So like the same way that, you know, you have somebody you go to your, your, you know, your, your go-to nail person, your go-to hair person, right? <laughs> the way you take care of all of the things external that you have, you should be taking care of your internal um, as well and making sure that, that, that you're okay. And I, I, I'm a big believer in, in therapy um, and coaching. They're not the same. Uh, and all of the resources that you need to be the best you and to show up in the best way that you can, um, so I'm super proud of Naomi. I think there's an energy in the, in the air. Um, like I said, when I, um, right before I got on here, I pressed, you know, the, you know, go on my newsletter, I'm consciously taking the time off and I've had people be like, how, you know, how are you taking this time off? Like, what do you mean? And, and it's really been like, I'm prioritizing myself. And if I don't do that, nobody will. And I'm, and guess what? I'm doing it unapologetically. I'm doing it foot, foot loose and fancy free and everybody just has to deal with it, right? And if not, then oh well. And if I miss out on an opportunity, then it wasn't for me in the first place. Good for you. I, I think that, that that is sage um, advice coming from a badass Black woman, <laughs> a lawyer, a coach, 
um, fashionista. I, I I can't wait to come back to New York and and we can go uh, we can go do some shopping or something together. Yeah, I would I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah, let's do some camo shopping. I have no camo actually. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you the last. I, I want. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, you've plugged all your social several times, but you can do that again if you sure. like. To. Please do follow me on Twitter at at Paula Edgar. Follow me on Instagram at the Paula Edgar. I live on LinkedIn, so you should just look me up at Paula Edgar and my page at PGE Consulting Group. And guess what? If you want to always know where I am and what I'm doing, it is found at my website and that is paulaedgar.com. Um, I love to engage. Please do connect with me. And my final thing that I want to share with you is my business tagline, and that is engage your hustle. And that is a dovetail on my mother's be the wind of the leaf. And it really is just, if we're stagnant and we are actually stagnant, you should always be pushing, but don't push yourself too hard. Take care of yourself. Um, and that's it. That's all. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, my friend. This has been wonderful. I am so glad you agreed to be here with me to BS today. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. And until the next episode, remember that everybody is different and different is good. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. We hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS, Beyond Stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness on the world.